Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We appreciate the beautiful songs that we've been privileged to sing together today. The opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, to approach His throne in prayer, and to be together as children of God. I do want to encourage you to please make a special effort to be back tonight. The young men of the congregation are going to be leading our service. I know that you will be blessed by being in the assembly. And we appreciate all of our young men as well as our young ladies. We're proud of all of them. And tonight we have three of our young men who are going to be speaking, Cameron, Taylor, and Isaiah. And Isaiah and Cameron both have had the opportunity to speak on previous occasions. But tonight, Taylor will be making his debut as a preacher. And listen, we have a lot of great young people here. And I am convinced, I really believe that we're going to have some young men that are going to come out of this congregation who will preach on a regular basis. And I appreciate Jared and Brian and the great work that they do and for all of our young people. And we want to encourage them in every way possible. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 103. We're going to be talking about the theme, why we need God in our lives. It may seem somewhat difficult to comprehend that people would question why they need God in their lives. And yet I believe that we do need God in our lives. As a matter of fact, without God, there would be a tremendous void. I can't imagine living my life on planet Earth without God without the Lord at my side. In Psalm 103, we have what Brother Wayne Jackson has called in times past, the divine benefits package. And really, when you look at Psalm 103, one of the things that stands out is the fact that as God's people, we are richly blessed. And so when you look at this particular Psalm, you need to be impressed with the fact that God is the fountain from which all blessings flow. And those of us who have God in our lives, we are blessed immeasurably. And so with that in mind, I wanna do two things today. First of all, I wanna call your attention to the attributes of God. And really in Psalm 103, the psalmist, and I believe David was the psalmist here, in a very concise and vivid way, talks about the characteristics or attributes of Almighty God. And so let me just cite for you some of the attributes that the psalmist underscores in this great psalm. First of all, we think about the fact that God is benevolent. He is a benevolent God. In other words, God is the one from whom all of our blessings flow in this life. Listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said, the passage that was read just a moment ago by, by Jordan. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. 
The psalmist here reminding us that God is indeed the source of all of our blessings. Sometimes as human beings, we forget what God has done for us. We forget the source of our blessings. And yet over and over again, what does the Bible do? The Bible reminds us that the, that the God of heaven is the one who has lavished upon us all blessings. The psalmist in Psalm 68, 19 said in the long ago, bless the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. In other words, we ought to give thanks to Almighty God and the reason is because he's the one who daily supplies us with great provisions to live here on planet earth. And then James, of course, in James chapter one, at verse 17 said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation, neither shadow of turning. And so God is the dispenser of all blessings in this life. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he encouraged those people in the long ago to continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he said, watching therein with thanksgiving. Why should we be thankful? Well, the reason is because God is a benevolent God, because God has loaded us up, literally, with all of his great benefits. There is a second thing that the psalmist underscores about God. Not only is he benevolent, but he is sovereign. And the idea here is that God is in control. He's over everything. Listen to what he says in verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God in heaven is in control. He is on his throne and when God is on his throne in heaven, all is well. We live in a world that may seem turbulent. It may seem as if things are upside down and going awry. But what we need to understand is God is in heaven. And God is the one who is ultimately in control of all things. In Psalm 99.1, the psalmist said, the Lord reigns. God is in control, whether we realize it or not. Now, in the book of Daniel, Daniel, of course, was one of the great prophets of God. And in Daniel chapter 2, at verse 21, Daniel said in the long ago that God is the one who removes kings and God is the one who raises up kings. What does that say to us? It says God's in control, doesn't it? In chapter 4, verse 32, Daniel would affirm the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. And then he said, and gives it to whomsoever he will. And so the idea there is again, God is in control. We talk about the sovereignty of a nation and the power of a particular nation or kingdom. Well, let me tell you what. God is the one who is ultimately in control of all things. He is the one who, of whom the psalmist said rules over all. So God is benevolent. God is sovereign. But then there is also another thing that the psalmist brings to mind about Almighty God. Drop down and look at verse 8. He said in the long ago, the Lord is merciful. It would be hard for us to really come to appreciate the great mercy of Almighty God. I think about the active pity, the tenderness with which God deals with his people. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 at verse 4, he said, but God who is rich in mercy. Now, along those lines, drop down and look at verse 11. 
as we think about the mercy of Almighty God. The psalmist said, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Is that not what Paul said in the New Testament? That God is rich in mercy? Look at verse 13. He said, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And then look at verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So God is a merciful God. And the psalmist here simply reminding us of that fact. And then also he tags to that the fact that Almighty God is gracious. He said the Lord is merciful and gracious. Over and over again, what do we read about God? We read about God being a God of grace. Sometimes we have the idea that grace is a New Testament term. It's exclusive to the New Testament. Well, the concept of grace is found throughout both Old and New Testament writings. Go back and look at Genesis chapter 6 when God decreed that he was going to destroy the world by means of a flood. God said in the long ago that Noah found grace in his eyes. Grace, of course, denoting the unmerited favor of Almighty God. God doing for us what we as human beings are unable to do for ourselves. So God is a God of grace. In Ephesians 2, again, the writer, Paul, underscored the richness of God's mercy and his grace. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you been saved. So here Paul says, not only is God a God of rich mercy, but he is a being who loves his people. Now we talk about the love of God and the Bible over and over again speaks of the love of God. As a matter of fact, John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. That's the nature of God. But he is not only described by Paul as a God of love, a God of mercy, but a God of grace. That's what the psalmist is saying, that the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. And then there's another attribute I would call to mind. That is, God is long-suffering. Look, if you would, again at verse 8. He said, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. There, therein, uh, there again, we have this concept of mercy. God abounds in mercy, but he's slow to anger. In other words, he's long-suffering. Now, here's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9. The Bible says that God is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's interesting that in verse 15 of chapter 3 in the book of 2 Peter, that the apostle in the long ago would say, an account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. How grateful we ought to be that God is long-suffering to us as his people that God has so richly blessed us in this life. Now, we talk about the attributes of God. I want you to think with me in the second place of the actions of God. 
And really, the first thing that we look, looked at had to do with his divine character. Now we want to talk about his divine care. And I believe that the psalmist, again, vividly describes the care of Almighty God. There are some things I want to call your attention to, beginning, if you would, with me in verse 3. The first thing that we see about God, he is a forgiving God. Listen to what the psalmist said. Well, look at verse 2 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. I would underscore that word all, A-L-L. God forgives all iniquities. Aren't you grateful to serve a God who has the ability, the capacity, the willingness to forgive? I think about people in this world that have been wronged. Individuals that feel like they have been victimized by others. And sometimes individuals will say, I don't care what that person ever says or does to me, I will never forgive him or her. That's not the way God operates. No, we serve a God, we have a God in heaven who is willing to forgive all our iniquities. Now let me just bring this, this point up. If the writer were David, and I believe that he did write this particular psalm, did David not come to understand the blessings of forgiveness? Look at the life of David, marred by sin. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet what happened? Well, he had an adulterous union with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed on the front line of battle. He tried to conceal what he had done. And so in Psalm 51, David literally pours out his heart to God. He would say in the long ago against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. And so here is David writing and he speaks of God and he says, who forgives all your iniquities. Another example would be the apostle Paul. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He preceded that statement by saying, and speaking about the grace of Almighty God and how it was exceeding abundant. He could, he could appreciate and understand the forgiveness that God had bestowed on him as a result of his graciousness. Saul of Tarsus had done what? He had persecuted many Christians. He had put them to death. And the Lord Jesus appeared unto him and Ananias instructed him to arise, be baptized, and wash away his sins. When you and I are baptized into Christ, what happens? God forgives all of our iniquities. On Pentecost Day, many of those people that were present on that occasion, no doubt many had been present at the death of Jesus on Calvary. And so they cried out, men and brethren, what shall I do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. In other words, so you can be forgiven. Well, when God forgives, does he indeed forgive all iniquity? The answer is a resounding yes. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter eight at verse 12. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. What's God saying there? God is saying, I will forgive you. 
And God is saying, not only will I forgive you, but I won't bring it up again. Now, let me, let me also share this idea with you. We talk about the fact that God forgives. Did you know that we have a God who is in the business of giving second chances? Not just second chances, but third chances, fourth chances, and so on. Wouldn't it be terrible to think that if we messed up, if we failed, that there remained no more hope? That's not the case. There are people in the world today that have the idea that because of what they've done, where they've been, what they've said, there's just no way a gracious God in heaven could forgive them. That is the devil's lie. God has the ability to forgive. When we come to Jesus Christ in simple trusting faith, repent of our sins, confess his name, and are buried in that watery grave of baptism, the Bible says every sin, all sin, is washed away. And then I think about those of us who belong to the body of Christ that sometimes succumb to temptation. We say and we do things that we know we ought not. And yet, here's what John said in 1 John chapter 2. He said, my little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. But if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so in verse 9 of chapter 1 of that same book, John could say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so God has the ability to forgive. God will forgive the alien sinner, that is those who've never obeyed the gospel when they obey it. And God will forgive those who stumble, who fall, who go back into the world, whatever the the case may be, when they repent, turn back to God, what does he do? He forgives all their iniquities. There's a second thing. He not only forgives, but in the latter part of verse three, the Bible says he heals all our diseases. Look again at verse three, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now I understand that, that we live in a day and time when the age of the miraculous has long since ceased. In the first century, there were many people that had been healed of their physical maladies by Jesus Christ and no doubt by many of the apostles. They had the ability to perform the miraculous. Well, that age has long since passed. But we do have a God that has created a body unlike anything else on earth. You ever thought about this amazing piece of machinery that we call the human body? The psalmist said in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. There is built within this body the amazing ability to do many things. We have within us what is called an immune system. And I think about the fact that the body has the ability to mend itself. If you get cut, if you have a scrape, if you have a bruise, what happens? The body begins working to do what? to mend itself. I also think about in the book of Genesis, chapter 17, we talk about the amazing ability of the human body. In Genesis 17, God said that the young males who were circumcised were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? Because on the eighth day, 
the properties were present for blood clotting. And so that was the day to perform that type of surgery. And the body today has the ability to do what? To clot when we get cut, etc. And then I would also say that we live and serve a God who invites us to pray when we have sicknesses, when we have illnesses, when we face disease, when our lives are filled with turmoil and trial, what do we do? We, we go to God, don't we? I cited a moment ago, Colossians 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. When you're sick, what did James say to do? When you and I have difficulties and problems in life, we turn to God. And we believe that through prayer and the providence of Almighty God, God can do what? He can respond accordingly. And so the psalmist here said that God forgives, he heals, and then look at verse four. He said, he redeems. Now, the psalmist said, who redeems your life from destruction. And I think what he's talking about here is God has the ability to redeem one from the dead. The psalmist may have in mind here that at some point in time in his life, God had spared him from the grave, from death. And if you look at the life of David, you'll see that on numerous occasions, he was faced with the threat of death. Saul came after him, Absalom, his own son, tried to circumvent him and take the kingdom from him. But nonetheless, David in the long ago talks about how God has the ability to redeem the life from destruction. At some point in time, known to God in heaven, you and I will one day reside in the cemetery unless Jesus comes, for, in, unless Jesus comes first. When our bodies lie in the cemetery, does that signal the end of everything? Absolutely not. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, the apostle Paul talks about the adoption, that is, the redemption of the body. What he's talking about there is the resurrection from the grave. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes the case that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He said, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain. He said, ultimately, we're still in sin. But because Jesus has been raised from the dead, you and I too, we will one day be raised from the dead. We will face that enemy that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as death. In other words, we'll face the enemy of death. But when our bodies are placed in the cemetery, we need to understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has the keys to the cemetery. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible tells us that Jesus will one day unlock the doors of the cemetery and the dead will come forth. Jesus said, marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so the psalmist here is saying that Jesus, or rather that, that God is the one who has the ability to redeem the life from destruction. And then note, if you would, what he says further. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. So the psalmist said that God forgives, he heals, he redeems, and he crowns. Picture, if you would, a believer who is wearing a crown. And the idea is that God is the one who has abundantly blessed us in this life. And those blessings are adorning our head like a crown. 
and from that crown flow the loving kindness and tender mercies of Almighty God. Now, I said just a moment ago that I wanted us to think about the theme, why we need God in our lives. Let me tell you why we need God in our lives. Because if you are a child of God, if you're living for the Lord, you are blessed beyond measure. You have so many rich blessings on you. As a matter of fact, read, read Revelation chapter 1, where the Bible talks about how God has made us to be a kingdom and priest. We are God's own special people. And we have all of these great blessings and favors that come to us by Almighty God. It is as if we are walking around with a crown on our head, if you please. Now I understand that one day when the Lord comes, he will bestow on those who live a faithful life, he will bestow on them a what? A crown of life, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. It's called the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Those of us who belong to the family of God, we will one day wear that victor's crown. But in a very real, real sense, we have all of these great blessings that are literally flooding our lives. And so many times we forget about those blessings. That's why the psalmist said, do not forget all his benefits. And then finally, note verse five. God forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, and he satisfies. The psalmist said, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Some have questioned whether or not the translation in the King James or New King James Version, mouth, is a good translation. And I think what the psalmist is saying here is that as we grow older in this life, that we pause and reflect upon all of the great blessings that God has bestowed on us. And we, we contemplate the great richness of being associated with Almighty God. And even though this outward man, this temporal tabernacle of flesh, this tent, as Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, even though this body is wearing, is wearing down, even though it's growing older and subject to decay one day, we understand that there is something within us that is being renewed, as Paul would say, day by day in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He said the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And he would go on to say, we look not at the things which are seen, the things which are seen are temporary, they're temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Is it not the case that as we grow older in life, we come to appreciate the spiritual things of life even greater? That we, come to end, that we come to appreciate the mortality that, that faces us all. We come to appreciate what is truly important in life. When it's all said and done, when, when the final bell sounds, what's gonna be most important? Is it gonna be where you lived? Is it gonna be the kind of clothes you wore? The automobile that you drove? Is it gonna be how much money you have in your bank account? Is it gonna be how much land you own? Let me tell you what's gonna be most important. What's gonna be most important is your relationship to God. 
That's why you need God in your life. You can't afford to live without God in your life. Now, there are a lot of things that we can do without in this life. There are a lot of blessings that, there, there are a lot of blessings that we enjoy on a daily basis, and, and the bottom line is we really don't need them. They're just overflow. But when it comes to Almighty God and what he has to offer us, we can't do without. those. We need those blessings, and we ought to be grateful for them. Let me close by asking this question. Is God in your life? If God is not a part of your life, could I encourage you to make him a part of your life today? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. You need to be willing to repent of every sin. That's what the Bible says in Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism wherein you contact the blood of Christ, according to Acts 22, 16. And the bottom line is God will then add you to the church. You'll be numbered among the redeemed, the saved, Ephesians 5, 23. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, my, my plea, my prayer is that you would do it today. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, why not come to the Lord today? Why not come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon, according to 1 John 1, 9. Come as we stand and sing.